Hello everyone and welcome to another brand new edition of Kavam. It's episode 12 this week after our uh, sort of bonus podcast we did last week to discuss uh, the season 17 box set and obviously the teaser for Doctor Who Flux. Um, we're back with a more normal podcast where we're talking all about season 23. It's a, a trial of a time war special, which I guess, uh, well, maybe the only season that could be more relevant to talk about right now would be the key to time season, given we've got a six part one story Doctor Who series coming up but I feel like Trial of a Time Lord is a close second so we're going to break down Trial of a Time Lord we're going to discuss the season 23 box set um, some of the new special features that are on there because of course they released the standard edition version of that just a couple of weeks ago we didn't quite get it the timing right but we got pretty close um, and we're also going to have a little chat about Doctor Who Flux and the trailer we saw the other day because I think it's worth talking about I thought it was quite exciting so we'll have a little chat about that and of course if you didn't know already we will be doing weekly podcasts during series 13 or flux or whatever we want to call the series um where each week we'll be doing a slightly shorter podcast just discussing each episode because i thought we're a doctor podcast and you know we've got to talk about the current show so why not let's just do it um so of course today we always have guests today i'm joined by ryan how are you doing ryan i'm doing good thank you um again excited to get diving into um season 23 and um talk about the new trailer i'm pretty sure we all have Plenty of thoughts regarding both. Exactly, exactly. And we've also got a new guest with us this week. It's Bill, um, aka Type 40 Productions. How are you doing? I'm okay, thank you. And um, I just want to say I'm really um, happy to be on here and thank you for having me in everything. And um, yeah, I'm just really looking forward, like Ryan said, to just be able to discuss like the season 23 stuff and the series 13 or Doctor Who Flux stuff. And yeah, just seeing what we all uh, have to say about all that. Exactly. I think it's going to be good fun um, a good session. And Charlie might be joining us later. We're not quite sure. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, you never know. He might turn up. We'll see. Uh, if not, it'll just be us three for today. Um, but yeah, so let's start off by talking about Doctor Who Flux. So on Friday, late on Friday night, I don't know why they waited until 11pm. I know it was the Graham Norton show, but for a family show, releasing a trailer at 11pm doesn't seem like a smart idea. But that's just my opinion. Um I stayed up. I waited. Um, if anybody follows my YouTube channel, Emus Productions, you may have seen I was streaming the Doctor Who video game for three hours before that. That was an experience. I don't know. Have either of you played this new Doctor Who video game, The Edge of Reality? No, um, not yet. No, I've not as such yet either because, like, I was <laughs> waiting for it to be released and getting really yeah. excited for mm. it. And then when I saw it was released and there was a few sort of like negative reviews for it on mm -hmm. Steam and everything, talking about some bugs and everything, I thought, well, I'll just wait until it's gone down a bit in price sort of thing, give it a few months. Yeah, well, I, I can certainly tell you there's some bugs in there. Um, like there were, there's, there's bugs that just break levels that you have to start again because you physically can't complete the level because it's glitching. So, yeah. Anyway, let's not focus on that. Let's, let's, let's save that for another podcast when, we, when they make that game just a little bit better. Um, so Doctor Flux, the trailer was released. I thought, actually, it was a really good trailer. Um, sure, maybe we're not all super excited for Series 13. I don't know. Bill, how, what are your like general kind of feeling towards Series 13? Are you are you looking forward to it? Are you a little bit unsure? I don't know. Or did the trailer change your perception at all? I would say it changed my perception in some ways, yeah, because it, it was, it's been a bit of an odd one, I think, really, for us fans with Series 13, because it's, we know it's been coming for over a year, obviously, and yet um, for whatever reason, uh, the BBC have not really given us that much um, promotional stuff until basically the past week or so. And um, I'm sure I'm sure in some ways they know what they're doing with it. Um, it's just 
it's been a bit difficult to kind of like true for me anyway to truly kind of um get excited for it because there's just been so little official anyway news about it like we've had plenty of rumors and leaks and everything but very little actual official stuff so to now have like trailers and um promotional images and writers and directors confirmed and everything is just great because it's it's what personally i would have liked it a month earlier like a month ago but to have it now is still mm. great nonetheless because it's just great to have it really and mm. um the trailer itself what i think was pretty good i mean it wasn't like an extremely long trailer but it was a long enough trailer to just for us to just get the general gist of the series and mm -hmm. to just um kind of find out like little bits and pieces of what it might be about without obviously giving away too much about it yeah which i thought was like a good balance really of and i think yeah i think the trailer was really good and um it's made me much more excited for series 13. I mean, it's crazy now to think that it's about, what, two weeks away? Yeah, two weeks as we record, yeah. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it's just mad to think that having now waited so long for an air date and all this stuff to suddenly mm -hmm. have it now is just, it's just crazy, really. But I'm grateful to have it all, nonetheless. Yeah, exactly. I, th I You know, I think that, the trailer struck the right balance between actually telling stuff about the series, um, which is what the teaser back in July really didn't do when it was just reaction shots of Jodie and out of context dialogue. Um, you know, it showed us Santarans, the Ooze, the Cybermen, the Weeping Angels, all, all of these, you know, returning monsters, which, you know, naturally, even if they're just a cameo, it gets us excited. But it, I also still feel like i don't actually have any clue what the like narrative of the series is sure we know it's all one story but i don't have a clue what that story is it's something to do with flux whatever quite that is and there's some cataclysmic events whatever that means but i don't feel like we really that i've tried to really give you any impression of what the series is all about uh so ryan i know that you haven't exactly been you know series 13's most ardent fan and advocate over recent times did um the the trailer the other day give you a little bit more positivity towards the series? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's a it's a decent trailer, and it's certainly way better than the July one. But <laughs> I don't know if it's got me overly enthusiastic. I mean, it does look very exciting, um, which is definitely a plus. But there are a couple of things that do have me just a little tiny bit concerned, and I mean. Obviously, because of the fact that it's a series-long arc, it's basically one story across these stories, like it's a kind of a quest story. And as I kind of mentioned in last week's podcast, I do have the concerns about whether or not a quest storyline in Doctor Who can fully work. Because, I mean, you look at the key to time season, and while I think the first four stories of that season are amazing, a lot of the time, it, the, the key to time still kind of feels secondary it's like it's almost in the background almost kind of for most of the time because it's like okay we'll do the adventure here's the bit we'll just concentrate on the adventure now and it's just and then by the time we got to the end of the key to time season they in the last 10 minutes they just sort well five minutes they got the, got it together only to then throw the key away again and trial of a time on well i'm pretty sure we'll discuss a bit more 
as the podcast. Definitely, uh, yeah. Goes on, but, <laughs> yeah. Um, I have my opinions on that, but um, but considering those last two attempts, it does have me concerned about whether or not this series, arc, a quest storyline, can still work. I mean, I, I hope I'm wrong. Um, I just I want it to be good, but considering the last two attempts, it does have me a bit concerned, especially considering that Chibnall is pretty much writing all six episodes, um, pretty much, although yeah. it, with episode four, he is co-writing it with Maxine Alderton, who did for my opinion, the best Jodie Whittaker story, The mm. Haunting of Villa Diodati. Yeah. So yeah. I'm hoping that he's learned, he's grown and evolved from the previous two seasons. I'm mm. hoping, I really hope to be proved wrong about Chris Chimnall. I really want him to be a great writer and can do really strong stuff. And I'm hoping this is it, but it does have me concerned. And also, just a quick little bit, the Cybermen coming back... I am really scared about that because if it is that big return, I just really hope it does does them well because I I'm still really upset about how they got treated at the end of the last season because they built up the Cybermen as being like the big threat of the season because you have Jack warning about the lone Cyberman in episode five, then we're introduced to him in the haunting of Villa Diodati, which is such a spectacular introduction and it he really adds to the law of the Cybermen and it continues on that threat in ascension of the Cybermen and introducing this new warrior class race of Cybermen. But then the timeless children happened and all the Cybermen just pretty much wasted. They just they don't didn't really matter in the end. Like the lone Cybermen, Cyberman, he just got shrunk down by the master effortlessly despite being built up as a big threat, all the new warrior-class Cybermen get easily blown up. And then, of course, they introduce another race, the Time Lord Cybermen, and they didn't really do anything with them. So I just feel like they wasted them so badly in that last episode, which is one of the reasons why I really don't like that episode, was because I love the Cybermen so much. And I'm just hoping he at least learned his lesson from that and can actually give us a good reason to get us hyped about the Cybermen again. Yeah, I I think it's it's interesting where these Cybermen are going to come from because as far as we were made to aware, all of the Cybermen became Cy- I think I think it was all the Cybermen became Cybermasters and then got blown up on Gallifrey. Um, so I don't actually know where we're going to pull these Cybermen out of, but you know, I guess it's that whole thing of the Cybermen start anywhere. They just happen to look the same as Cybermen from a completely different part of space or something, you know. Like, it clearly makes so much sense. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, Bill, in terms of the you know the the trailer, we saw a lot of returning monsters. In particular, I think the most visually appealing one was probably the new Sontaran design. What was your your, your take and impression on the Sontaran design, which is clearly very different to what we seen in New Who, but in many ways much more harking back to the original design in the Time Warrior. Um, well, I think for me, um, the new Sontaran design is much better than the uh, blue armored ones from the RTD yeah. era, because um, you see. In some ways, like, yeah, sure, I, I think in some way, in some lights, maybe the blue armor looks, you know, it looks it looks decent enough sort of thing. But I think the traditional black armor just looks better for them because it's what they had in the classics and them being um, tall again. Because I think this is something which, like, most people kind of forget, um, apart from, like, us fans and everything, is that in the classics, the Sontarans weren't really like short they were actually just normal height mm-hmm. um so for chris chimnall to then bring them back as just basically as sort of like these just more classic inspired 
Santarans is just much better, I think. It's a much better way of doing them than the way they were done in the RTD era. Um, and I think it's the, like the face and everything, it just looks more like a Santaran. Mm. Like yeah. it, it, it reminds me of like Lynx or um, Staya yeah. from the Santaran experiment. It yeah. just looks like a Santaran would look, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really happy that they've gone with that approach to it because that was something I'd always wanted anyway for many years yeah. was for them to go back to a more classic look and feel for the Santarans. So I'm very happy about it, yeah. Yeah, I, I personally, I think it works really well. I think, I think I'm, I'm thankful they didn't take inspiration from the two doctors in their design and added a bit of fluff on their chins or something. But um, yeah, I know. I think, I think that the design itself works it really well. And I've, I've for years just been wanting a proper like Sontaran story where the Sontarans are the proper villain, like the, the enemy, the warriors of the story. Because we haven't seen that since the Sontaran stratagem, the Poison Sky, in 2008. Like, it's been 13 years. Sure, we've had Strax turn up from time to time, but that's a very different take on a, clearly a comedy Sontaran. Um, and so I'm just very happy that I think they're going to be a significant part, a significant threat to the, um, the Doctor in this series. Um, and just, as you say, that the design just really... It fits what the Cybermen are meant to be. I think they are these battle-hardened warriors that have, you know, you know, get down and dirty in the battlefield, and they shouldn't look all blue and shiny. Which I feel like was kind of the the way that it felt like they looked back in the sort of RTD days. So I, I, I sort of agree. I think that really works quite effectively. And yeah, I think just overall the the trailer, sure, it it doesn't give them much away, but I think it does just give an impression that. You know, there's a lot of money that's been thrown at the series, like the real scale, the special effects, I think, look incredible throughout the trailer. And I don't know, I just get the impression that this series is really like they're throwing everything at it. Even if it doesn't ultimately work, they are they're, they're you know, they're not going to go out with a whimper. I feel like if like if we had another series 11, this series, it really would feel like we're going out with a whimper. But I feel like they've said we're going to throw everything at this. And I feel like it's going to be it's going to probably going to be the way like it often is with series finales in Doctor Who that how the story whatever story or narrative it is of the series is wrapped up will be kind of what we decide how good it is on like it doesn't really matter how good the mystery or the quest or whatever the story is it's going to be how they wrap it up in the final episode what you know the is it a satisfying conclusion is it exciting throughout but does it actually get wrapped up in a good way because so many finales we've seen let down by their second part and then that's all you remember of the series sure I'm a personal fan of Hellbent, but I know for a lot of people, Hellbent ruined series nine as a whole series. And it's not just that episode, but then people look negatively on the whole series. So I just feel like that, particularly with it all being one story, is even more important than ever. Um, look, Chris writes a good finale. And given his two finales previously were The Time of Children and Ambassador Ranskrav Kolos, I'm concerned. Um, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't fill me with much confidence, really. Um, Ryan, I, 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 you look a bit concerned, just like me. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Are you, do you have much hope in Chris Chibnall? Well, the thing is, yeah, that, I think of all the episodes, that last one, episode six, um, I know there's like three other special episodes of this season out next year, yeah. but that, this last one, episode six, that is the one I'm concerned about the most because... For me, Battle of Ransgraf Coloss and The Timeless Children are, for me, the two worst episodes of the Jodie Whittaker era for me. I just really don't like them at all. And I think they're the two worst finales. Because, um, I mean, originally, one of my least favorites was The Wedding of Riversong, but I think that's now looking like a much better episode in comparison to these two. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> 
a load of nothing. That's what mm-hmm. Rams Craft Colossus yes. was. It was just absolutely nothing at all. I'm just like, really, that's it? And then, of course, the Timeless Children happened, which just felt like it sacrificed a lot of the goodwill Series 12 had because I feel like Super was building up to something big and spectacular. It just felt like the Timeless Children kind of not ignore that. And it kind of repeated the same mistakes of Ranskorav Coloss, which is just a lot of exposition, very little action, and 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 whatever big revelations it does throw up, it does, it's not, it doesn't really get me excited. It it just made it make me feel the opposite. And if that arc of the timeless child still is carried on it in, in some ways in this flux story arc. That I'm definitely going to be even more concerned. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna. I struggle to see that they'll avoid the timeless child. I, I like. I feel like that's too much of a part of this era for them to not address it in some way in this series. Maybe with a cameo from the Ruth Doctor or, or the Division gets involved or something. Who knows? I don't think we really know. But I'm sure they'll have some involvement. As you say, that could be a cause for concern. Maybe they'll wrap it up well. I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm really, I'm really not sure. Uh, but at least we do have a new series of Doctor Who starting in two weeks. I think that's exciting, if nothing else. Sure, we're not always positive about the show as fans. We don't always enjoy all the episodes. But I feel like no matter what, when we get close to the start of a new series, we just get excited for it because it's a new series of Doctor Who, even if it's been written by Chris Chibnall, which we may not all love massively. Um, and of course, for better or for worse, we will be discussing every single episode on a podcast. Um I'm hopeful that we'll be discussing the positive things about each episode. You know, it. I don't, I like, I am excited for the series. I want it to be good. I really, really want it to be Jodie Whittaker going out on a high, Chris Chibnall going out on a high, it being a really exciting, gripping adventure full of great cliffhangers, returning monsters, a great story that just, you know, captures the fans' imagination and hopefully some of the general public. Um, I just think that we don't have confidence in that based on the last two years or three years, however long it's been, um, which is a real shame. But yeah, we will be discussing them over the next few weeks. So I think we'll we'll, we'll move on to another hotly debated season of Doctor Who. Um, another one that has a three in it. Um, but this time we're going back to 1980... Is it far? 86? 85? I think it's 86, isn't it? Yeah, because 85 was the kind of gap year. The, the first ever gap year for Doctor Who. Um, and now we have them every other year. So that's a bit sad. Um, <laughs> uh uh, so, of course, Trial of a Time Lord, Colin Baker's second and final season as the Doctor, uh, a, a very different type of series compared to basically every series season of the classic show where, you know, we, we, all, we, we all know what this classic is like. You have a story that lasts four episodes, six episodes, and then we move on to another one and it's completely different, different characters, different setting, nothing really connecting it apart from Key to Time um, or the JNT era where we kind of start with a TARDIS scene that continues on from the previous story in every episode because apparently he likes doing that um <coughs> and so we get to season 23 they're like let's do a whole let's you know reflect what's happening in the production behind the scenes and let's have the doc- doctor who on trial uh and we get trial of a time lord a 14 part story kind of split into four individual stories as well um bill trial of a time lord where where do you stand i can we, we kind of know we've heard before where ryan kind of sits on this season so, Bill, where do you sit on Trial of a Time Lord? Well, I think I have mixed feelings about it because, like, on the one hand, I see what they're trying to do. And, um, you know, it's we could have a whole debate in itself as to whether it was necessarily the greatest idea in the world for when the show was basically put on trial to then 
have a season where the doctor himself is put on trial but yeah. i think that um you know it was a bold enough idea anyway mm-hmm. um but i think what lets the whole season down and what lets the idea down is ultimately just the execution and i think it's it's also a lack of planning i think mm-hmm. and a lack of time i think that um especially with the mysterious planet and terror of the Ver- vervoids um they really do suffer from i think just a lack of proper time and a lack of being able to fully like push the boat as it were out there mm-hmm. to fully sort of reinvent the show almost at a time when it really needed to reinvent itself to literally stay alive and yeah so it is it is a, it is a shame really that season 23 ended up going the way it did um but i don't know if in some ways if even if season 23 had been what um, had been like a hundred percent positive, like hundred percent great. If even that would have actually saved the show in the long term, because you know at, at the time, obviously there were so many people working high up in the BBC who just hated the show mm. and would have just tried everything in their power to just get rid of it, no matter nah. what uh, J and T and Eric Sayward and Colin Baker and stuff tried to do with it. Um, so yeah it is it is a it's a very strange season because it's like bits of it i really want to like and enjoy mm-hmm. but then you've got other bits um especially as i say the mysterious planet and terror of the vervoids which like idea wise are not bad stories mm-hmm. it's just the execution it's it's not even like necessarily completely the writer's fault or the actor's fault it's just purely the execution just something's just it's just standard doctor who ultimately those episodes and it's just not really doing anything to help save the show um but then at the same time you've got things like mind warp and even the ultimate foe yeah sure it's not again it's it's another sort of essentially season finale which doesn't really live up to yeah uh, the hopes and expe- expectations of the past few episodes, but yeah. it was at least trying. I think the ultimate foe, mm-hmm. and um, I think the main problem it has is, unlike a lot of like um, six parters or seven parters, where you know a lot of a lot of fans could go, oh well, that was just too long for its own good sort of thing. I think if anything, the ultimate foe is the opposite of that. It's too short for its own good. I think yeah, when it's the fact that it's only two episodes when you could have easily fit like that that whole idea of a story into four episodes is just it just doesn't work in its favor yeah exactly it's 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 a real Uh shame because it if it if it had just been given the amount of proper time and effort and like attention that i think it really deserved i think it could honestly have been really really solid great story but it just wasn't but then mind warp is really good as it is yeah so it's it's a very strange season because it's like most of it is like bland or mediocre to just well i wouldn't say terrible but not great sort of thing (laughs) um but then you've got mind warp in that same season and it's just it's so strange because mind warp could really 
if it was in a better season, I think it would be sort of talked about more by fans. But the fact that it's in season 23 of all the seasons it could be in is just, you know, um, I think that's, yeah, it's just, like I say, it's just a very strange season overall. And yeah, I think, I understand what they were trying to do with it, but I just don't think that for whatever reason it was, it came together and I just, I don't think it was as good as it could have been. Yeah, 100%. I... It's it's one of those for me. It's one of those seasons where I love the the ambition. I love the I love the the they tried to do something different rather than just say Doctor Who's been off the air for nearly two years. Let's just come back and do what we were doing two years ago, which clearly the BBC didn't like very much because they cancelled it. Um, so I like that idea. I just as as we as you say, just the execution, some of the planning around it, just doesn't kind of maximise the opportunities that provi- were provided by it. I don't like Mysterious Planet isn't terrible. It's just kind of a, an okay bog standard piece of Doctor Who. It's a shame, you know, it's Robert Holmes' last proper script for Doctor Who. I know he kind of wrote bits of The Ultimate Foe. But for such a great writer to go on such a kind of, not not like terrible note, just kind of underwhelming note, I think is a real shame. As you say, Mind Warp is actually really, really solid. And, you know, I think that that could be a really good story in another season, as you say. I think it, it, it's that baggage of being part of the season, having the trial scenes in it and, and all of that. So I'm pretty sure isn't Mind Warp kind of the heaviest sort of season in terms of trial, or it's the heaviest story in terms of trial scenes kind of slotted into it. Because I know Terror of the Verboys is kind of the most on its own story, and that hence why they did a um, sort of version without any of the trial scenes in it for the <laughs> and the Blu-ray. But I feel like Mind Warp was quite kind of bogged down by that in some ways, which is, you know, a bit of a shame. Um, and then, yeah, as you say, Bill, the ultimate foe just doesn't give the satisfying conclusion that you want to a 14-part story. Why do we have to try and wrap it up in 50 minutes in two short episodes when I'm pretty sure we could have lost an episode from Mysterious Planet and Terror of the Vervoids and then given us a four-part ultimate foe to actually properly conclude the series in a good way? I think that would have worked so much better. Um, so, yeah, I, just, I really think that's a bit of a shame. Um, I don't know. Ryan, hit us with your opinions. I can tell. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go. Um, well, well... Gird your loins, people, because you're going to be in for quite a ride. Um, <laughs> all I will say is that I completely sympathise with the team trying to make this work because given the fact that they were going through such a difficult time, as you both mentioned, the fact that it was coming out of time when you have Michael Grade and Jonathan Powell in control of the BBC, just really hating Doctor Who and trying to axe it and both JNT and Eric Say were trying to, and even and the rest of the production team trying to save it. It's it's understandably very difficult trying to get this season up and running. And the fact that they managed to get at least 14 episodes out there is highly commendable. And I do appreciate it for that. But the problem is, is the actual season that they gave us. And um, and it's a real shame because I feel like with all that time and all that preparation, because they had a, a big gap in between, I feel like they could have made a really damn good series, but it just feels like all that time preparation and this is what they gave us. I just feel like that's a... It just it just really disappointed me, and I think this is probably down there with the previous season, season 22, and Jodie Whittaker's first series as among the three worst seasons in Doctor Who for me. Um it just, I think 
I think you I think Bill summed it up really well. It's like echoing the trial of the program that's going on within the trial in the program. I just feel like is a bit of a misstep. And even Colin Baker himself had concerns about that because he did mm. say, and um, uh, I'll see if I can get quote. He said to stop the action repeatedly must only jar your involvement. And he's absolutely right. Every time the trial scenes come on, it just completely takes you out of the story. And a lot of the time, it's just Colin Baker and Michael Jason bickering at each other like two school kids on a playground. And you have Linda Bellingham as the um, the Inquisitor acting like the yep. teacher mum trying to talk <laughs> down. And it, it goes on for ages and ages, and it just drove me mad. And And... And it does, it's not that exciting. And the fact, and it doesn't help by the fact that we've already had the Doctor on trial before with Patrick Charlton's last story, mm. The War Game. Yeah. And it was done so much better there. And mm-hmm. as for the stories themselves, yeah, I mean, Mysterious Planet and Terror of the Vervoid, they kind of remind me of some of the stories of Jodie Whittaker's first season where it's just bland, dull, lifeless, formulate, middle-of-the-road Doctor Who. It, that's what it really reminded me me of when re-watching Mysterious Planet and Tear of the Vervoids. But I will say Tear of the Vervoids on the Blu-ray without the trial scenes, it is that bit better and much more easy to watch. But even then, it's still not amazing. Mind Warp, I will agree, is pretty solid because it's great seeing um, Syl again and also seeing who's in charge of him. And also, I can stomach any scene of Brian Blessed, just having Brian Blessed come on any scene, <laughs> screaming, Neck! and all that. Mm. It's just an absolute delight. And yeah. yeah, I think he pretty much elevates the story for me because, I mean, Brian Blessed is such a legend in his own right. And, and funny enough, Brian Blessed was originally going to be in Series 9 of Modern Doctor Who. He was going to be in The Girl Who Died. He was going to play that, the leader of the Maya, um, <laughs> who was pretending to be Odin, but Unfortunately, he was unwell at the time and couldn't do it. So, And it's a real shame because I would have loved to have seen Peter Capaldi go up against mm, Brian Blessed. That would have been something. Yeah. In <laughs> fancy enough, with Series 9, he, could, he was so close to going up against two legends with Brian Blessed and Timothy Dalton mm. and both whacked out. And it's a real Damn. shame because that would have been so amazing. Uh, anyway, yeah. Um, but yeah, Mind Warp is good, but I think it's let down by, as I said, the trial scenes and the fact that it's left unclear about how much is real or how much is fabricated by the Matrix. They never really say, I don't think, they never really discuss how much of it was fabricated. So it's a shame, and it's a shame because it's like, a lot of this is good, but the problem is I don't know which is real or which is meant to be fake, and they never really clear that up. And then when it gets to the ultimate foe, I mean... There are scenes I really like, but I'm, I'm mostly in the first part, um, basically the Eric Sayward and Robert Holmes one. Um, but, I mean, the fact that the master comes in, unmasks the Valiard in front of everybody, and I think that's such a great idea, like this dark, evil, doppelganger clone of the Doctor. I think it's such a great idea that, an idea that they would repeat and um, do again in Amy's Choice with the Dream Lord. I think it's that's they sort of repeat that same idea again so it's great that we have that all that is great um but in a way when you know what the Valiard is up to it doesn't really make that much sense because it's like why would he orchestrate this trial 
just so he could get rid of the doctor, so he can have the doctor's regenerations. It's like you could have orchestrated much better plans to do that. And then, of course, it all falls apart in its last part, which is understandable why that last part was so rushed because. Eric Sayward quit before then because he originally had a different part two in mind, but he and JT didn't agree. Um, they fell out on bad terms. And Pippa Jane Baker, who wrote the, the Vervoid story, had to come in and they I think they pretty much had nearly a week to come up to get part two up and running. So mm. and it's a miracle they they got something at this semi-watchable up and running. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, but even then, it just clunks and grinds to this. Mm-hmm. Well, it's quite an unfortunate conclusion. And I, in the end, I'm just left with how I felt about the key to time, which is that was it. After waiting all those weeks, that is the conclusion you decide mm. to give us. And so, yeah, I just feel like this was such a wasted opportunity, season 20. And after going through it so many times, I tried to warm up to it, but I just can't feel. Um, any enjoyment at it most of the time. In and again to quote um, Jeff Goldblum from Jurassic Park, um, it's like they spent so much time thinking whether or not they could. They didn't actually stop to think if they should. And funnily, Jeff Goldblum needs to come in. He needs to give his blood so bad Doctor Who can stop. Yeah, and boy, yeah. that's a sentence I never thought I'd say in my life. <laughs> well, indeed. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's. Yeah, I think we we kind of tend to agree it's one of those seasons that sits on the lower echelons of classic well, of Doctor Who. I don't know if I'd put it in my bottom three out of all 39 seasons or however many there are. Um, I don't know, probably bottom, certainly in the bottom third at least. I don't know. I don't know exactly right. I don't, I don't have to do a ranking. Um, but of course, we also are here to talk about the uh, Blu-ray and DVD releases of Trial of a Time Lord. Uh, they were first released on DVD back in, I think, 2008, 2009 time. Uh, in a sort of box set and then obviously we got the blu-ray box set a couple of years ago as well with lots of um, additional features added on there which is really really cool so yeah let's look at the the dvd release first um of many years ago now but i think had to be honest one of the most at least interesting if not one of the best kind of like making of or sort of retrospective documentaries um it was called trials and tribulations and it kind of covered the whole colin baker era kind of covered the period through the show getting cancelled for 18 months and then coming back and kind of all the production problems behind the scenes basically um bill i think you've 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 probably had a chance to watch this what was what was your kind of take on this as a documentary um well i thought it was a really great insight into what exactly happened behind the scenes during that era of the show uh because it's it's a story which I think we kind of all knew in a way anyway, because it was quite heavily publicised at the time, uh, kind of what went on with the hiatus and then the um, troubles with production of Trial of Time Lord and then the actual um, uh, sort of mutual um, like falling out, as it were, yeah. between J&T and Eric Saywood. Yes. Um, but it was just it was just nice to kind of be able to watch a documentary about it to then kind of find out even more information about it and to be able to kind of to understand, I think. And I think in a way it helped me because I will be honest with you, I think when I was first started to get into the classics when I was uh, very little, um, for me, the Colin Baker era just 
wasn't one of my favorites. I mean, yeah. it didn't help, obviously, that I picked Time Lash as one of the first. <laughs> oh dear, we chatted about that last time. What a disaster yeah. that was. <laughs> um. So, but um. Yeah, it was. So I think watching that documentary to me when I first got around to watching it, however many years ago it was, mm-hmm. um, really kind of made me appreciate the era as a whole in a new light because it it kind of made me realise, okay, they, it's like they set out to purposefully make Bad Doctor. Not that anybody ever does, obviously, but yeah. um, like they didn't, they weren't trying to like ruin um any part of it or anything it was just that Finn's basically just working against them ultimately yeah um I remember I think Eric Saywards said on that documentary about how difficult it was to find new writers for the show mm-hmm. and then how difficult it would be for to try and persuade John Ethan Turner to bring back some of the old uh writers from the show's mm-hmm. past uh because he thought of them as I think I think he said it. They were just old farts or something like that. <laughs> um, so that kind of insight made me think of the Colin Baker era in a much more positive light. And now, obviously, I kind of yes, sure, the Colin Baker era as a whole is definitely, to say the least, a very mixed bag. But um, what I ultimately lo- ultimately love is the fact that. At least they tried. And, mm. you know, when they did well, they really did well. And even mm. if they didn't do so well, they at least tried to give us something like semi-decent sort of thing. And yeah. um, I'm, I'm also really glad that Colin Baker got to reprise his role for Big Finish like years later, mm. because I think that's helped to over the years help fans to see the sixth doctor as a whole in a much more positive light because the sixth doctor on tv was well let's be honest here basically unlikable most of the time mm, yeah um so for him to basically soften and mellow throughout the course of his many many big finish audios is done now um it just it just helps to make him much more likable and much more doctorish sort yeah. of thing like much more feel like a much more normal doctor Hmm. um so yeah the trials and tribulations documentary is just i mean if anybody hasn't yet seen it i would definitely Hmm. recommend checking it out um probably by getting the dvd although they've probably released it on the blu-ray on the blu-ray as well yeah um so you get either one of them and definitely check it out because i think it is one of the the go-to making of documentaries for any Doctor Who era, I think, because it's Mm. just so informative. So, and, you know, all the people that were interviewed on it, I think really are never, they don't hide anything. They're just very honest and open about how they found Finns working on the show during that particular era. Um, So yeah, I would definitely recommend uh, checking it out if you haven't already. Yeah, exactly. I, I I definitely agree. It's one of the best things that the certainly the DVD range did, um, because it's just such a, a an interesting, a turbulent period of Doctor Who's history that I think as fans we're fascinated by and want to know, you know, understand that much more about. And as you say, Bill, it's just great to hear them talking so candidly about the problems that there were at the time. I think it's probably something that we hope that we'll get in the future for some of New Who, the earlier New Who, and some of the problems, particularly in Series One. 
I think we're hopeful that they could give us a documentary about, you know, like that. That's sure. Yeah, Doctor came back and it was great. But also there were, you know, a myriad of problems behind the scenes. Um, and yeah, I think, as you say, Trials and Tribulations is just such a it's, it's sort of an important, almost like an important watch for a Doctor Who fan. I think if you're getting into classic Who, it's such a, it's particularly, you know, when Colin's era gets such a bad rap generally, I think it's really important to like understand why that happened and why it all went wrong. And I think this documentary goes such a long way to really explain that for you. So that at least you kind of, even if you don't enjoy Colin's era, which a lot of people obviously don't, you can at least have the context as to why it ended up going the way it did, which I think is, you know, very important. Um, I mean, Ryan, I think you said it was one of your pretty much your favorite documentaries, certainly on DVD range and pretty much across the board. Would you sort of concur with that? Yeah, I still think it's one of the best documentaries ever. I mean, it does, it helped clear up a lot of the issues that I had with the Colin Baker era because when I first started getting into Doctor Who, one of the very first ones I ever watched was Revelation of the Daleks, um, the last story of season 22. And watching it, I was was really impressed by it. And I actually really liked Colin Baker in that story. I thought he hit the right note of who the Doctor is, I feel like, in that story. And seeing his interactions with Davros are just mm. absolutely amazing at the end. And and when I watched that, I, was, I thought, wow, I can't wait to watch the rest of Colin's run. I bet it's going to be just as amazing. Boy, was I wrong. Boy, <laughs> did I learn a very valuable lesson that yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> um, in a way, this this documentary perfectly showed why it kind of all went wrong. And, and it's a shame because, I mean, Colin Baker is not my least favourite Doctor for me. I think well, Peter Davison probably would be my least favourite because at least I feel like Colin Baker had a bit of a bit of a spark to him. And I think, as mm. I said, Revelation of the Dark, I think he is incredible in that story. And yeah. he's actually not bad in The Trial of a Time Lord season, which is one of the few positives I have about that season. Um, and um, as I said, I'm glad that he brought that Doctor, showed that Doctor more throughout the big Finnish audio dramas, as Bill said. Um, yeah. But yeah, the documentary really showed that how just the... It was just an absolute shambles. I think, like, <laughs> get go. I think Colin Baker, I think, was hand mishandled badly from the get go with yeah, the whole yeah. twin dilemma and yeah. all the palaver that went on with that story, which is still regarded as, I think, it's still regarded as the worst story ever. The twin Pretty much, dilemma. yeah. It's, it's usually that time lash or time in the Rani, I think, are kind of the bottom three generally. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's not good. Um, and then hearing how. Eric Sarah saying that there were whole terrible problems with the script. And as Bill mentioned, that he wanted to get writers back on the show, but JT wouldn't let him. And they had someone like, oh, I forgot the name of the writer who did Time Lash. But yeah, again, someone like him Ooh. who was tried and untested and never really did Doctor Who much before. And and mm. old Pip and Jane Baker, who just write bland, formulate middle of the road Doctor Who. And it's just, yeah, it, it, I feel like the only ones who were solid enough were Eric Sayward who did Revelation and of yeah. course Philip Martin who did Vengeance of Varus and Mind Warp as well and so mm. I feel like they were the only two who got a fair stab at it to certain extent yeah, and, yeah exactly and, and yeah with all Michael Grade and Jonathan Powell having to come in at the end and sort of mess everything up because they hated science fiction or well anything that didn't conform to what they think of as quality tv that would get yes. it back great um which is not a professional work environment at mm. all um and 
that and even Powell himself mentioned in that documentary, he said it wasn't a thing in the top of our agenda to rejuvenate dot two. To do mm-hmm. that would have required an enormous injection of money and we wanted to do other things, which yeah. I think just sums it all up brilliantly. And yeah. and how Colin Baker ultimately got treated by the very end, I think is unforgivable, I think, because mm. I think given the right material, he would have been one of the best doctors ever. If he had the right material, if he had someone like a Philip Hinchcliffe or mm. Robert Holmes um, just come in and just give that era life, I think Colin Baker would have been one of the best yeah. doctors ever. But unfortunately, Graydon Powell butted in at the last mm. second. JNT, who I don't think is a, as good as Barry Letts and Philip Hinchcliffe and then and Eric Sayward, who can be a good writer. Yeah. I don't think he's that good of a script editor, personally speaking. Mm. So I think I think Colin Baker was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I think this documentary perfectly showed why that was. Yeah, exactly. I think, as you say, it just sums up the era. It gives you a good impression of all the problems there were at the time. Um and so I, I I look back at the special, just coming to the special features for both of these releases, both the DVD and the Blu-ray, I look, I look at it and I'm like, the DVD release itself was so good. Like, you've got making documentaries for every single story. You've got, you know, loads of um, TV appearances from the cast. You've got the location footage, studio footage. You, you've just got so much content there. It's, it's I don't know. I, I think, Bill, you've got the DVD version of this. Does it feel like almost like you've already got enough content even just on the DVDs? Yeah, I would say so, yeah. I mean, like, um, I mean, for me personally, I am kind of, like, not that much into Blu-rays because I can't, like, part of me thinks, well, I've already got them all on yeah. DVD. I mean, I yeah. love the cover <laughs> art from uh, Lee Binding that he's done mm. for the collection box sets. I really do, but... um. Uh, for me, uh, I'm just happy with the DVDs. But yeah, yeah, it's just considering that, like you say, pretty much for season 23, we've got making of documentaries for every single story in that entire season. I think, I mean, I could be wrong here, but I think that's quite unheard of really with the um, DVD documentaries, certainly, because mm. there are some, I think uh, there's still some stories out there which have yet to have proper full-length making of documentaries yep. for yeah some um, that never will uh, yeah <laughs> unfortunately um, yeah so it's it's very but I, I i think it's good that they chose season 23 out of all the seasons they could have done that with because yeah again it, it, it just helps to show the season it just helps for the fans i think to maybe just view the season as a whole just in a more yeah. positive light and to go well, yeah, it's not the greatest season ever. It probably is one of the worst, if anything. But, you know, they tried. They, they definitely <laughs> tried with it. Like, um, it didn't succeed, but yeah. they they gave it a best shot as they possibly could at the time. Um, mm. And so I'm just really glad that it's got that much extensive, like, making of mm. documentaries and special features and stuff. Because I think... It is a season that deserves it, really, because it is just, it is something which, I mean, it's it's like, um, it is one of those eras, ultimately, which I think we do kind of, us fans kind of look back on, and we do get kind of really interested in, like the Colin, yeah. ba- Colin Baker era, because it's where kind of 
I don't want to sound horrible or anything, but it's where kind of things start to go wrong, as it were, because yeah. um, things were very, obviously very solid throughout the 60s and 70s and um, solid enough with Davison as well. And then you get to, like, certainly the twin dilemma, and then it's just a very strange thing. It's, yeah, it's just a very strange era. And then, again, it's yeah. like later on with Sylvester McCoy, like, I love the Seventh Doctor. I mean, I love the Sixth Doctor as well, but I love the Seventh Doctor especially mm-hmm. and his more darker and more manipulative uh, side he has throughout mm-hmm. his later seasons. But um, there were clearly still some issues with the show during uh, McCoy's time yeah. by like 20, season 25, season 26. Um, and, it, and obviously, especially with season 24. Mm. Um, and I just... It is, it is a very strange kind of era of the show to look back on now because you mm-hmm. think, well, it's, it's strange because up till that point, Doctor Who was still, yeah, sure, it, it had its kind of, its heyday, I think, really, ultimately, with mm-hmm. John Pertwee and Tom Baker. But yeah. even with Peter Davison, it was still doing pretty well, like, ratings-wise. Yeah. And people still viewed it quite positively and fondly. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly the twin dilemma comes along and it's like and it's even more like it's almost heartbreaking in a way because to all the actors that had to be cast as a doctor <laughs> during that time it had to happen to Colin Baker who I think mm-hmm. honestly is probably one of the greatest actors to have ever played a doctor mm-hmm. because you know even when the script is frankly god awful <laughs> he's still trying to give it his all like even in twin yeah. dilemma he's probably the best thing to watch in that mm-hmm. and even as he's going up, even as he's saying villain murderer <laughs> and, and him shouting proclaiming thou oh, craggy knob and all that i'm just like oh my god <laughs> he tries his best he tries his best come on yeah. he's it's yeah. not a good script to work with <laughs> And the whole yeah. strangulation scene as well. I mean, oh. indeed, yes. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's just a very strange era, I think, because it's mm. you, you do kind of think to yourself, what would have happened if maybe like J and T'd have left with Davison? Like, mm. what the show could have done? I wouldn't say like the show got cancelled because of J and T's fault. Like, it's not like that really. I think it was ultimately just the BBC looking for any excuse ultimately to cancel it. So regardless of who would have been producer or script editor or mm-hmm. whatever, I think they would have ultimately cancelled it. Yeah. If not by 89, then certainly by the early 90s, I think. Um, yeah. But I, I do honestly wonder what would have happened to the show if JNT had have gone, like I say, with Davison in 84. Like, what would that have meant? Like, could it maybe... I Again, I'm still not sure if it would have necessarily saved the show, but could it have at least brought some kind of new light to it? Mm. Well, funnily enough, um, in one of the Blu-ray documentaries about Jen Nathan Turner, he said that he felt he had reached his peak as a showrunner by the 20th anniversary, The Five oh. Doctors. And, mm. he said, and he said, maybe I should have resigned then. He said, but in the end, I didn't. And may- maybe if I should have done, things might have been different. And... In a way, you do sort of wonder, but I think they were all just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And in a way, 
Russell T. Davis kind of summed it up with the twin dilemma. It did start to feel like the beginning of the end of the old show because while there have been stories prior, there had been disasters. And yeah. well, in the case of Warriors of the Deep, my <laughs> least favorite story of all time. Oh, dear. That yes. was the one that gave the highers up the example and the excuse they needed to start seeking to cancel it. Mm. The twin dilemma, I feel like, was the end result of that. And it just felt like, okay, Doctor Who's demise is now becoming a question of when and not if anymore it's just mm-hmm. it just pretty much was the end result of the problems that i feel started with warriors of the day and the yeah. twin dilemma just was pretty much magnified that and carried throughout the colin baker era and it's a shame because i mean although speaking i mean when i was going through all of the dot two stories for the class of dot two for the first time i feel like it I was starting to sort of feel like it wasn't really that great after Tom Baker had left because, as I said, Peter Davison never really struck me as a particularly good doctor. Even though they have been great stories, mm. I tended to like mm. the other characters and the story more than the doctor. So I feel like Peter Davison's doctor was always the least interesting part of that yeah. story. Although in his last story, The Case of Andrasani, he is really good at that. Yes. I will give it that. The Caves of Andrasani is amazing. Um, <laughs> and as Phil said, um, yeah, Colin Baker, I feel like he just got a rough go. I mean, like, he, as I said, he is a great actor. And I feel like he had the potential, but it just was not there. And I feel like when with Sylvester McCoy, with the last two seasons of 25 and 26, you can tell that they were really improving but I just feel like at that point the damage was already done by then and it mm. just the the viewership and everything just wasn't there anymore by then to save it it's just like it was too little too late by that point and I feel like that's what ultimately killed it in 1989. Yeah I, th- I think you know once the show went on hiatus and they cancelled it for 18 months it was clearly you know a pretty bad sign um, that, you know, we've decided we don't want to make Doctor Who anymore. And, oh, wait, now we're suddenly going to make it again. And then it wasn't very good. And the show rather quickly, unfortunately, ran its course. So I think, you know, there's some fascinating ideas there of what would it be like if JNT hadn't been showrunner. And um, I don't know, I just feel like it would be so hard to go against the just general feeling of the BBC higher-ups that Doctor Who wasn't a show they wanted on television. And, and I'd feel like it'd be a struggle for anybody to fight that off, no matter who they were. Even if, you know, they brought back Philip Hinchcliffe or got Barry Letts in again after he came and tried to help season 18 through. Um, maybe they needed him to come back again. I don't know. I feel like it would be quite interesting. Um, Sorry, just one last thing yes. quickly. Um, the sort of quality with Colin Baker and everything that's been going on with the 80s, I kind of feel like it's sort of repeating a little bit with Whitaker's era because... As I mentioned in previous episodes, like the publicity and the marketing has mm. been going less less. In a way, it's been cut. It was sort of like that back in the 80s. Like the BBC yeah. just wasn't putting that much into it. And it's just like, well, in a way, what's happening in the 80s is sort of kind of sort of happening a bit with the Jodie Whittaker era as well, to an extent. Yeah, I, I think, I, I, yeah, I somewhat agree with you. I think the good thing is that we know we're not just stuck with Chris Chibnall for the next five years, that we've got RTD coming back, hopefully doing the you know, Barry Letts doing season 25 or something like that, that sort of idea of bringing Russell back, I think will hopefully, hopefully help protect against, you know, the show going that way again. But then I think that the BBC in general don't hate the show like they did back then, certainly, um, which is a very promising sign. Um, So we, as we quickly come to the uh, Blu-ray release of um, season 23, of course, as I say, on the DVD range, it's full of brilliant documentaries. So 
I, it was almost like, how on earth are they going to make this season, you know, worth buying on Blu-ray? Because there's so much good stuff already on there. But I think it's fair to say they pack quite a lot of decent content into it. Um, obviously, we've got the behind the sofas that we always have. We get Colin Baker, Nicola Bryan, um, Bonnie Langford. Then also Fraser Hines, which I think is fascinating, and Matty Wartels and Mark Strickson, getting the kind of previous companions perspective on it. I think, is this the only season that Fraser was done behind the sofa for? I don't remember him doing any others. Um which is, yeah, I think that's really interesting. And it, they, they're certainly able to give some really interesting perspectives on a, you know, one of the less popular seasons. I almost feel like it's often more interesting watching behind the sofa for the seasons and the stories that aren't as good and, and getting these out. As, as much as I don't just want to watch them go, yeah, that's awful. Um, I still think it's more interesting than just going, wow, this is great. Um, and not really giving any real, you know, insight or opinion, just saying, yeah, this is really good, but instead actually giving reasons why this isn't really working or they're not really following it or anything like that. Um, so if we just work our way quickly through some of the new stuff that was on the uh, Season 23 box set, we had the Doctor's Table, the sort of round table, you know, little uh, meet up with um, the, the, some of the main actors from the, the series, Colin, Colin Baker, Nicola Bryant, Bonnie Langford and Michael Jaston, which is a really nice combination, I feel like. And like, not to be kind of crass about it, but it's like nice with the later scenes of Classic Who that we have more of the cast still with us to be able to do features like this. Sure, like, you know, it's great that they're able to pull amazing content for season eight, like or season eight as an example, some of the older seasons of Classic Who do making jobs for The Web of Fear or um, Galaxy 4 or whatever. I think that's great, but I do think it's really nice when we can just get the Doctor and the Companions sat around the table having some champagne and answering questions. I think that's a really fun... Um, set up for a feature. We obviously see it in a few of the other um, collection releases. I think it was on, was it 24 or was it 26? They did Sylvester's one. Yeah, they did season 24. They had yeah. a doctor's table with them. With them. Him, uh, I think Clive Merrison, I believe, from the Paradise Towers. Yes, along that with was them, it. And yeah. Sophie Aldrin. Yeah, that was really nice as well. So I, that's a, just a really nice, I think it's a really fun feature. I mean, there's even more fun features coming up, but I think that's a really fun feature that just, you know, it's it, a nice sort of addition to, to a lot of the stuff we've already got to give a more recent perspective of, you know, their opinions on things to do with Doctor Who and, and whatever. I think that's just quite fun. Um, then if we just look through onto some of the other discs, you obviously you've got the uh, special version or the, the trial-free version of Terror of the Vervoise, which we referenced briefly earlier, which I think, Ryan, would you say improves the story? Yeah, it does improve, but only barely. I mean, okay. as I said, Terror of the Vervoise is still... A bland, formulate middle of the road Doctor Who. Yeah. Doctor Who, kind of like a lot of the stories in the 80s. But, <laughs> with, um, um, but with the removal of the trial scenes, it does flow more cohesively. It does, mm. it does move along better than it did in the actual trial scene, but it just feels like every trial scene just sort of stops the drama dead in its tracks. I just feel like by getting rid of all of those scenes and just adding, by just having the story as well as I feel and if I remember they did include some deleted scenes in there as yeah, well. It yeah, re edited it, yeah. It does make it more, feel more like a a standalone story that flows much more easily as it goes along. So yeah, it does it is an improvement, but only just slightly. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's probably the best way to describe it, isn't it? I mean, it's got updated special effects which, and a new tile sequence, which kind of adds something to it. Like, it makes it feel a bit different, I guess, and certainly compared to the trial season as a whole. But, you know, it's not going to turn what is not a bad Doctor Who story, just a very, like, bog-standard average Doctor Who story, I think. It's not going to turn it into suddenly an amazing one. Um, so, 
but it's still nice to have and have that alternative option. Obviously, this, you know, one of the big things on this box set was that every episode's got an extended version of it as well, because there were so many deleted scenes that we saw throughout the um, season that have been existing for a while. Um, they kind of gave us, you know, two extra discs with longer re-edited versions of these stories, um, which I think is a really just a really cool thing to have and be able to see some of these deleted and extended scenes in context, I think is really, really interesting. Um, and so I'm, I'm certainly pleased that they kind of, you know, went down that route in terms of adding that when you've got the space to be able to do it with the Blu-rays, and it's, which, which just wouldn't be an option back in the uh, DVD range days. Um, then a couple of other interesting new documentaries we got. We obviously got the kind of standard, I guess, now in conversation feature where Matthew Sweet sat down with Bonnie Langford and I know I feel like Bonnie Langford's really like a forgotten figure in Doctor Who. She she kind of she does half of season twenty three and then most of season twenty four, and you know it's kind of an era that I guess not a lot of people really delve into very much because it's hardly two of the greatest seasons. So I feel like you just don't really hear that much from her or about Doctor Who from her that much. I know Ryan, you, I think you had a chance to watch um, the the chat. Did it compared to some of the other in conversations we've seen? I don't know. Did did you feel like it was fairly interesting or was it a bit of a kind of you know, her just talking about being on Doctor Who and not really giving anything new away. In a way, it was sort of a mixture of both. I mean, it's definitely great that to have her on because I believe on the DVDs, they didn't really have... I don't think they yeah. had her on. Not DVDs very much, no. I, I feel like it's definitely a great addition. I mean, even though she's not what I call a great companion, I actually don't mind Mel that much I mean mm -hmm. I mean yes for a lot of the time it is basically Bonnie Langford Bonnie Langfording all over the bloody place yeah. but um, yeah. but even though I don't mind her I think she's I think she's delightful and um and it's interesting just hearing like her background like how she was like a, a like a full-on theatre kid and did a lot of theatre dancing mm. and and so when she came into Doctor Who, it was like a complete learning curve for her because of just the scale of Doctor Who. And she came in knowing nothing about it. It's just like, well, John Nathan Turner wanted to have her and, well, he got her. And yeah, yeah. she tells him all these different stories about how, even though there was different problems going on at the time, she was sort of kept out of the loop of okay. it. And in a way, she feels like it sort of helped her in mm. a way. So it's like not to get to her. In a in a sense, and in a way, um, in a way, she sort of took on two massive sort of franchises in a sense because back then she had Doctor, and then during the 2010s she went on to do EastEnders, yeah, which indeed. of course I've never watched EastEnders. I wouldn't know, <laughs> never would care what in my life. Um, but yeah. I heard she's really good in it. So, and and it just goes to show that I feel like she can do some great stuff. And I heard she's also really good in Big Finish as well. Mm. So it's good. I think, again, I just feel like she could have also really proven her worth given mm. the right material, just like Colin Baker. I feel like she could have... And listening to the documentary, watching the documentary and also seeing how she would later progress in the Big Finish audio dramas, I feel like she would have done well if she had, like again better creatives just sort mm. of managing her but unfortunately like eric saywood didn't wasn't keen on her he didn't want her to be the companion and funny enough bonnie langford mentioned that she never met him at all during the making of dot two which yeah. is very interesting um <laughs> so I mean, indeed so in a way 
so yeah, I thought this was a really good documentary. And once again, Matthew Sweet knows what he's doing. So exactly, and it's just to show that I can't wait to see what more what more he's going to bring to the table in terms of the further Blu-ray releases. Indeed, obviously we've got his interview with Bob Baker to look forward to on the um, season 17 release, which I think is going to be really, really interesting. I'm looking forward to that one. Then one of the other really interesting, what I think is fascinating, um, they did a shorter version, kind of short documentary about this on the DVD range, all about the lost season 23, what basically should have been season 23 if it hadn't got put on hiatus for 18 months. Um, you know, stories featuring autons, among other things. I remember there was a sev- several really, really interesting, like, basically a whole season was there with several really interesting stories. And then it was all just thrown out the window. And there's a sort of short 10 minute or so, I think, documentary on the DVD range kind of discussing that. But we get a, on the, the, the Blu-rays, we get a um, writer's room feature for the lost season 23, rather than the actual season 23, when we get one for the lost one, which I think is a really fun idea. We have, we obviously we have it on season 18 and I think a couple of other seasons as well. Um, where you get the writers of the stories sitting in a pub discussing their episodes, basically. But obviously the twist for this one is none of them actually got made. Um, So I just think it's really interesting to get that insight into what we could have had from this season, and which in some ways I think might have been better than what we actually got. I don't know, what, what, Ryan, what did you kind of, you know, take from it? What did you get the impression those, those stories might be like? Do you think you would have enjoyed that, that season 23 a bit more? Yeah, I think I definitely would have enjoyed that season a lot more, actually. Um, and, but, and again, it's just a shame that Michael Gray and Jonathan Powell just butted in and caused things to change because I feel yeah. like had they gone ahead with this season, I think okay, maybe it might not have turned out perfect given some of the quality that they had to work with back mm. then. But um, I think it would have at least, they would have at least tri- tried more and give us more solid, at least more solid creative Doctor Who, like, you know, we have the Nightmare Fair that, that Graham Williams was going to do, that was going to mm-hmm. have them be in Blackpool, it was going to be like this fantasy yeah. horror where had the Celestial Toymaker come back, and mm-hmm. then having um, Mission to Magnus, which was going to have the return of the Ice Warriors and Sill also in there, yeah. and, and hearing what they were going to do with the last story, The Hollows of Time, how it's going to be this weird cerebral sort of story with them, the tractators returning, but not really the villains. They're just sort of the victims, and the I think the master was going to be involved in that okay. as well. I did, yeah, it sounds like it was going to be a really fun, exciting season, but mm-hmm. unfortunately, it just all got just got swept under the rug by the mm. idiot management at the BBC at the time. Indeed, yeah, I, I, yeah, which is a real shame. I think it's, I think the only consolation, I guess, is it's nice we've actually been able to hear what those stories would have been like. And I think some of them have been made in Big Finish, I believe. Didn't they do like the lost stories, didn't they? And sort of, you know, somewhat remade them based on some sort of scripts. So they give you some impression of what the story would have been like, which I think is really, really nice. Because as you say, there's there's some fascinating stories in there that unfortunately, you know, we're never going to get to watch because they just didn't um, didn't ever make them because, as you say, the BBC didn't really like Doctor Who at the time. Now, what's the final big exciting feature? The award-winning feature. I don't know if we've really ever had many in the way of award-winning documentaries um, for the Blu-ray range or the DVD range of Doctor Who. So I think it's just fantastic that we get an award-winning documentary to watch and to talk about. Of course, Chris Chapman, the, the brilliant documentary producer, produced one of the most unique and, like, I would never have thought of it in a million years documentary um the doctor who cookbook revisited with with toby haydock and many a cast member from doctor who coming on to come and cook some uh classics from the doctor who cookbook ryan is it as fun as it sounds 
it was actually it was actually a nice decent watch and in fact i think the idea of this sort of got mooted around by the time toby hayduck was doing um that matthew waterhouse oh uh, yeah documentary we came waterhouse, yeah. when matthew was cooking sort of for him it's sort of like yeah. so i think he said to tell me like maybe you should do like a documentary about not actors cooking and it's just yeah. i feel like he, and of course he got what he wanted because mm-hmm. we got this and it was definitely a lot of fun and it was sort of very funny that um the narrator of MasterChef, India Fisher, just presents yes. it like as if it's MasterChef. And of course she was Charlie Pollard in um the Eighth Doctor audio drama. Of course, so yeah. It was very good to have that. And of course, I think Toby Hayduck is a very good host anyway. I think yeah. it was uh, it was it's him having his rapport with the other cast was really good. It was great seeing well, Janet Fielding and Sarah sort of trying different recipes and then yeah. seeing Terry Malloy, Davros come in. I thought that was definitely a highlight for me, just seeing mm-hmm. um, one of my favourite Davroses, Terry Malloy, come in and trying, um, I believe it was called um, Davros's Extermination Pudding, which I think... That is- just sounds... That sounds like something else. Yeah, it's... I don't know what I don't want to know what that is like, to be honest. I'm not sure I want to know. Um, yeah, I don't know what he's going to do with that. But... Iconic names like um, yeah. Kipper of Trark. Yeah, oh, the Kipper of Trark and quality. Um, Mushrooms McCrimmon, um, oh. Dr. Clean Cake, Doctor's Temptation. Um, and of course, um, I believe, um, yeah, Janet Fielding's. Ocker balls, I believe it was called. Oh dear! Many iconic, yes, um, recipe names. Indeed, I'm sure you had. They had to get some innuendos in there, didn't they? Obviously, it was always going to be the way, especially when you've got the likes of Janet Fielding on it. It's just what's going to happen. But yeah, I think it's just such a fun way to kind of count. It's on the last disc of the the box set. It's probably, I guess, you know, if you watch it kind of in order of special features and whatever, it kind of is like your final thing of season 23. And I feel like it's just such a fun way to end. After a season that's not always that fun and that great, it's such a fun way to, to end that release on, I think. And it just kind of bookends a sort of what I think is one of the best like releases of a season that we've had as much as it's not a very good season itself I think in terms of giving a supplementary content around it I think it's one of the absolute best because it just gives you so much to delve into and to understand and learn about the season plus really really fun documentaries and special effects and surround sound and all those extra things as well I feel like they should get Toby Hayden back to do some more documentaries I feel like it would be a great addition, just like Matthew Sweet is yeah. with the conversation. I feel like having Toby Hayduck involved would be such a great bonus. Yeah, exactly. Definitely, 100%. And, well, I think that pretty much wraps us up for this week. Um, Bill, thank you so much for coming on. Have you had a, a good time on your first um, Kavan podcast? Yes, I have. And uh, I just want to say thank you again for having me on. It's been a real pleasure just being able to talk about uh, Series 13 and Season 23 with you both. Yeah, it's been great to have you. And um, hopefully next time we're discussing, we might discuss a season that we all like slightly more, um, whether that's Series 13 or whether, I don't know. I mean, the next animation we've got to discuss is Galaxy 4. So I'm not sure we'll be getting that much better when we get to that one. Um, I don't know. We'll find something. We'll find something positive to talk about. But um, yes, yeah, so we'll be back in um, a couple of weeks and a bit, probably, hopefully just after episode one of Doctor Flux, whatever it's called, um, whatever the episode is called. Just a couple of days after that will be our first of our weekly podcasts um, where, yeah, as I say, each week we'll be discussing 
giving our in-depth opinions on each episode. I just thought it'd be quite fun to do. So please stick around. Don't miss it for that. You know, hit the, I think it's the follow button on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and you can subscribe to my channel on YouTube EMS Productions to get all the update on that as well. Um, and we're on Twitter at Pod as well. So you can follow us all over the place. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I've got to do all these little plugs as well. You know, it's very important. We've got to get, get people hearing the podcast. Come on, guys. Um, but yeah I hope you guys have enjoyed another edition of Kavam and we will see you in a couple of weeks but until then goodbye goodbye